I'm Leslie Sultan. I'm an estate planning attorney. And on this podcast, my guests and I discuss topics that help make it easy for you, the listener, to understand estate planning. We break down complex legal concepts into everyday situations so you can understand the whys and how to protect and build intergenerational wealth. We call it the legacy purse because after all, estate planning is a gift you leave your loved ones. The second thing that I want to just mention here um, is that money is emotional. And I think too, for too, too long, we've tried to separate uh, money from things like self-development and happiness and, and all the ways that we just want to be better versions of ourselves. But money is intricately tied to everything that we do in our lives, right? From where we live to the food we eat to where we send our kids to school. It all comes back at some level to money. Today's guest is Chelsea Brennan from Smart Money Mamas. I first saw Chelsea Brennan and her social media posts through Smart Money Mamas and started following her and loved the content that she put out, geared towards helping mamas be more financially aware. So I invited her onto the podcast today to talk about the work she does because I believe it's relevant to many of our listeners, even if you're not a mom. Because if you are interested in estate planning, you may be looking for guidance on how to get out of debt, grow your wealth, and get organized with your assets. And I believe Chelsea can really give our listeners that extra motivation and guidance to take the next steps to get a plan or to update their plan. Welcome to the show, Chelsea, and for taking the time from your busy schedule to be here with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Leslie. So for our listeners who don't know about all your projects, please tell us how you came up with the Smart Money Mama concept. Absolutely. So when I was pregnant with my first child, I ended up in this Facebook group of about 250 other women who were also expecting their first baby in the same month as I had my first baby. And at the time, I was working at a hedge fund in Boston, which is a really intellectually stimulating, fascinating job. Not necessarily something I knew I wanted to be doing forever, but a good job. For sure. And so I was an investment manager there and I became, you know, over time, this go-to person for people's money questions, whether it was debt, whether it was 529 plans, whether it was trying to pick retirement investments. I was the one who kind of kept answering those questions. And so about a year after my first child was born, I was going through, honestly, some postpartum depression and really looking for a project that held meaning and value to me. And so I started this really hobby blog. I let the mom's group name it and I just put a post up up in this little Facebook group that we had and said, what questions do you want me to answer? And so for the first 30 days of this little hobby blog, I answered a question on the blog every single day. And it really just grew from there. I loved helping families feel more confident with money, feel like they have more choices, more opportunity to do the things they wanted to do in their lives without stress. And so uh, about a year after I started the blog, I left my job as a hedge fund manager and started to build Smart Money Mamas into the platform it is today. And you offer a ton of resources to moms, but let's start with the money mindset. For people who are unfamiliar with this concept, could you please break it down a little and tell us about your money mindset course? Absolutely. So money mindset is a collection of all the thoughts and beliefs that we have about money. And the thing about money mindset is that it's set before we even really have any choice about it. For most core money beliefs, research shows that they're set around age seven, which means as kids, we see an interaction, whether it's a fight between our parents or just an offhand comment somebody makes. And our kid brain with limited perspective makes this big assumption because our brains, whether we're seven or 70, are really just trying to create order out of chaos, try to keep us in a stable place. And so our brain makes this assumption 
that kind of like keeps us stable. And then it continues for decades sometimes to look for reasons in the world to prove this big assumption that we made back when we were kids. And often that isn't the healthiest choice, or even if it was something that served us when we were kids, it's not helping us get to the next level as adults. So when we talk about money mindset, we really think about peeling back the layers, figuring out what are your underlying money beliefs? Are they they things that you agree with now as an adult? Are they things you want to pass on to your kids? Or are they things that you want to keep start rewriting? And so that's kind of what we do in our money mindset course is figure out how to set your version of a wealthy money mindset. The second thing that I want to just mention here um, is that money is emotional. And I think too, for too, too long, we've tried to separate uh, money from things like self-development and happiness and, and all the ways that we just want to be better versions of ourselves. But money is intricately tied to everything that we do in our lives, right? From where we live to the food we eat to where we send our kids to school, it all comes back at some level to money. And so we also talk about what I call the money hierarchy of needs, which takes Maslow's hierarchy and talks about how each of the five levels of really reaching self-actualization are actually moments of financial growth. And that if we tie those things together, we can create more mental space, more budget space to actually evolve as human beings, to get the jobs that let us operate in our superpowers to create generational wealth um, by really starting at that base of what makes us feel safe and secure. Wow, that's it sounds great. And how long is the course for people that wanted to take it? Um, so the money mindset course in and of itself um, is about people take a couple weeks to kind of go through it. It's not that it's necessarily that long, that many videos. We try to keep the videos around 10 minutes. We have busy moms in our community, um, but they do require some self-reflection. This is going to be time that it's emotional work. Sometimes you're un unraveling things that maybe you haven't thought about in a long time. And so it usually takes some processing time. One of the things I would mention, Leslie, is that an, an, in, an even more in-depth version of our Money Mindset course is included in our Motivated Mama Society. And so what we learned is that people that went through the Mindset course love it, but then they're ready for the next stage. Okay, now that I have this mindset, what goals do I want to set? How do I actually implement all these things? And so the Motivated Mama Society is actually a series of five courses. Um, it's a monthly membership that brings you through not only mindset, but meaningful goal setting, creating a money system that works for you and building wealth, and then has ongoing monthly kind of masterclasses and Q&As. Leslie, you actually visited us to talk about estate planning. Um, and so that's how we really come with a more holistic plan to not only changing your money mindset, but also taking things to the next level. And you have a podcast called The Smart Money Mamas Show I with do. some amazing guests. Um, tell our listeners a little about your podcast and some examples of what they can gain by listening. Absolutely. So our podcast is a weekly, right now is a weekly show where we're recording this is uh, May 11th. Um, it's a weekly show on Thursdays where we have guests of all different ranges come in to talk about money and wealth building and estate planning um, to also just like motherhood and how do we pass the right lessons on to our kids? How do we balance our careers and really operate in our, our passions and our superpowers while balancing the things we do at home and all our other important things in our lives? And so there's a we do, we cover a lot. We try to talk about money holistically and motherhood holistically, but we're actually pivoting in just a, a couple of weeks here to a YouTube live show. And so the podcast is actually going to end up being, you know, recorded audio from those YouTube lives. But if you want to be able to interact with our guests, which will be a lot of fun, um, you can come watch on YouTube, watch on Facebook live on Tuesday afternoons. Oh, great! Can't wait for that. We'll be sure to link to that one when it's ready in our uh, show notes.
And of course, you have the in case of emergency binder, which I'm going to recommend to all our listeners. Um, so please tell us what that is. And how did you come up with this amazing tool for families? So your family emergency binder is a really important part, in my opinion, of emergency planning. And it takes, you know, what your life insurance and your estate plan, your will or your trust will do for your family and fills the gaps in what actually has to happen if someone passes away, if someone becomes incapacitated, or really even if you just get stuck on a business trip and someone else is watching your kids for a few days, right? And so these are the things of how do I pay the cable bill? Um, how do I get in touch with my kid's doctor and what medications are they on? What are my kid's favorite bedtime routine if someone else has to take over for a couple nights and put my kid to sleep? How do we do things like that? What's our investment strategy? Where are all our insurance policies? Because well, an estate plan, as you know, will track all your accounts and all your things. It doesn't necessarily tell people, you know, whether your home insurance is on auto pay and what account it comes from. And those are the things that we talk about, you know, your executors and really unraveling your estate. That's the part that takes so much time. So the binder pulls all that together. You would ask where it came from, which is a great question. And my husband is a stay-at-home dad. There's always planned for him to be a stay-at-home dad. And so we were pregnant with our first and I went in to get that life insurance exam. And so for, for me, they didn't come to the house. I had to go to this like kind of little bit of a seedy place to just go get blood drawn and whatever. And so I'm sitting in this room under these like horrible fluorescent lights thinking about the size of this life insurance policy and how my family will really be okay if something happened to me. But then I had this moment of like, oh, goodness, where if something did happen to me, my husband would have no idea what to do with that money. Like we have money meetings every week. We talk about money pretty openly, but I'm the one who manages it. I'm the one who opens the account passwords, who rebalances our asset allocation, who buys our life insurance, right? And so for him to suddenly come into this huge influx of cash, it would be a very overwhelming thing at a very emotionally overwhelming time, right? Where he's got to take care of himself and take care of his kid. And so we started to build out what ultimately became the family emergency binder. And the first thing it actually started with um, is not where most people would start with this journal, but for me, it was, I wrote a one pager of like, here is what to do with life insurance money if something happens to me. Like, first things first, drop it in a high yield savings account for six months. Do not make big decisions with this money while you're like emotionally distraught, right? While you're going through grief. Don't do that. You're going to regret it. You know, here's our investment strategy and here's how to move it into Vanguard if you if you want to do that. If you need help from a financial professional, here's the names and numbers of two or three people I trust. We don't personally use a financial advisor right now because I can do it myself, um, but people that he can call and trust. Way too often we hear stories of widows or widowers hiring financial advisors very quickly um, after the passing of a loved one and getting somebody who maybe doesn't have the skills or resources to help them in the way they need to be helped. And that's really unfortunate. And so it started there and then it became, okay, here's our account passwords. Here's our, you know, our life information. There are some things that he really had to fill in. Like we have a whole pet section of vets and pet ages and all these things. And he deals with all that for the pets, making sure that they're unvaccinated and whatever. And so he filled that in. And over time, it became this really go-to resource for us. And even, you know, we've knock on wood, nothing terrible has happened. You know, when we bought our house, we bought our house about two years ago, we were able to use the binder to flip through and know where our address had to be updated, all those accounts. We, we literally just flipped through, checked, updated them, and, and were able to feel like nothing fell through the cracks. And so that's where it came from. Um, and we've sold over 10,000 of them since we've launched. And it's been really amazing to hear the feedback and the you know peace of mind that have come to so many people who've been able to get their hands on the binder. 
Yes. And as I remember from your, um, when you hosted me on your uh, estate planning Q&A, um, lots of your clients or lots of people who buy the binders then go take it to their estate planning attorney and the estate planning attorneys are just so grateful because everything's already organized. So, <laughs> yes. um, you know, that could be like your, for the listeners, a, you know, the first step in getting organized and then you move on to the estate planning. So mm -hmm. lots of great tips here. Um, so we have a section of our podcast called the nightmare estate stories, um, just to help, you know, clients understand what could go wrong. And I'm wondering if you have heard any stories from other moms or, you know, people in general that you think could help our listeners, you know, see the importance of estate planning and getting their finances in order. Unfortunately, I have far too many of these. Um, part of the you know, sad part about the binder, the Marinley Emergency Binder, is that people don't realize they need it until they see how bad things can get, right? And so we get a lot of people who buy it after watching a friend pass away prematurely or losing a parent or a spouse. And so we kind of get those emotional stories from them as they fill out their binders. And so there's a few different places we could go. Um, one I would mention is a personal story. As we had a neighbor, um, she was in her early 30s. She was a single mom. And she never filled out a will and she never named guardianship for her child. And so while the child's father, biological father was not really in the, the child's life and the mother, while she was you know sick at the end, lived with her parents, the custody battle um, for her child after she passed away was very, very long and very, very strenuous, which is really hard on the child, right? It was really difficult for the family. Um, and while it ended up where we think she would have wanted the kids, her daughter, it was not the process that I think she would have liked to see. And so that's something that I, I try to remind people of is if you don't have a named guardian, it's going to go to family court and people can come and put themselves up as an option for, for guardianship. And it's a long process to figure out what that's going to look like, especially with how backed up the family court can sometimes be. And so that was one really difficult story. She also didn't have, you know, she had work life insurance, but she didn't have sufficient life insurance to really cover the raising of a daughter. Her daughter was um, about two and a half up through adulthood. And so that was just really difficult. Um, to, to flip that into a possibly slightly funnier story, we'll go with, um, we had a guy write to us. It was actually right when we uh, launched Binder and I, I was dying laughing when I read it. Um, his father-in-law passed away. For his father-in-law for years said, I have all the documentation. I've I've done it. I have the estate plan. It's in the safe. It's in the safe. It's in the safe. In the safe. For years. Passes away. And it quickly comes uh, that nobody knows the code to the safe or where the key to the safe is. He's never told anybody that. So he they rip his office apart. They are looking everywhere for this. They're calling family members. and Has anyone ever? Nobody knows the code to the safe. And of course, it's not just like some basic safe. It is one of the ones that's like built into the house. And so the guy raises his email and he's like, I think I'm on an FBI watch list for Googling like how to crack this kind of safe. And they ended up having to have a locksmith come and like drill into the safe, which permanently damaged this like valuable safe to get the paperwork out. And it's one of those things where, you know, mostly it ended up okay. His paper, you know, they found his paperwork. It took a lot longer than they wanted. But this is one of the examples too of his burial wishes were in there. And so by the time they were able to unravel all this, the funeral and the service was over. And so there were some things that he wanted that just didn't get done. And so making sure that you not only are organized, but somebody knows where to find the things that you have organized. Oh, I love those stories. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. All right. And then, of course, we always like to counter the nightmare stories with a great success story. And I'm sure you have plenty of those as well, if you could share. 
Yeah, I mean, luckily for a lot of people who've you know bought our binders and done things like that, nothing has happened. The goal is that you continue to live a long, healthy life. I think the the positive story I would go with is that we have a lot of clients that buy the binder, fill it out, and use it as a resource to go to their parents and say, "Hey, I've been working on this family emergency binder plan to make sure that all the information's organized for you or for a sibling, whoever's going to be your your kind of executor next of kin." And I was just wondering, do you have anything like that? And it becomes a starting point to have conversations with aging parents. And so we've heard a lot of really positive success stories from people who knew that, you know, as the oldest child, they were going to be the one who had to deal with this, um, but couldn't figure out how to open the conversation. And so really feeling like they got on the same page with their parents, they understand what's going on, and their parents have gotten a lot more organized um, has been, you know, one of the most positive things we've heard. Great. Um, Now, what do you think are some of the biggest obstacles for moms to become financially smarter? And with that, what are some of the solutions you would offer? I think, you know, one of the biggest hurdles is often just that we're so busy and we have been taught to not talk about money. And that's, you know, women, I think in particular have been taught that lesson, but it goes broader than that too. As a society, we don't really talk about money. And so when we are discouraged from focusing on it and our lives are just so busy and so fast, um, we don't take the time to, like I said, really dig deep onto what we want our money relationship to be, what our goals are going to be, and how to put in the systems in place to turn money into the tool that we need it to be to get to those goals. And so I think it's really setting aside that time. It doesn't have to be a lot of time, but a few minutes a day, a 30-minute meeting a week that you just focus on your money and what it can do for you. I think it's just that blocking off of time and slowing life down enough to focus on what we need to do. And obviously your followers get a wealth of information if they scroll through your website, uh, everything from meal planning mastery to investing tips, um, listening to your podcast and becoming a member of your private social media. But for today, could we break down some top advice you would give to um, entrepreneurs listening to help get them started on being financially smarter? Mm, Absolutely. I think the first thing entrepreneurs need to remember is to keep good books. I think too often a lot of us get into this as a side hustle, as a small business, as a hobby, and we forget to really closely track our finances. And frankly, there are even, you know, small to mid-sized business owners that I talk to that run million dollar businesses that don't understand what their P&L really means, that don't understand, you know, what their profit really means. And so I think getting comfortable with your books, understanding what your finances actually look like and where you're optimizing, I think is the first thing that's really important. Especially if you're a solo entrepreneur, your business's health is very closely tied to your personal financial health. And so making sure you spend some time on that, I highly recommend Profit First uh, by Michael Michalowicz is, is a great place to start and a way to kind of shift how we think um, about accounting and profit for a business. And so that's a good thing. The second thing is entrepreneurs by and large are way under saving for retirement. They save at a lower rate um, than the general public, mostly because we don't have 401ks and matches. We don't have that auto savings. And often, especially in the early years, profit is tight. And so we're not saving for retirement. And so I think that that's the next stage is once you understand that P&L is getting the systems in place to make sure that you're saving for retirement, because especially when your business relies on you, this is not something that we're going to want to be doing for 80 years, right? And so at some point, you have to have a plan that you're going to be able to step back that your business is not as reliant on you. Great. And what about for those listeners who are employees? They're happy working for someone else. They don't necessarily aspire to start their own business, but they do want to build more wealth. Do you have any specific advice for them? 
Absolutely. So this is an amazing thing, right? That we have these choices. And I think that we've kind of reached a point in the social media age and hustle culture where we've created this idea that like entrepreneurship is for everybody and it's the only way to build wealth. I think that's 100% not true. Entrepreneurship in many ways is very stressful. It's not something that's built for everybody. And so if you want to be an employee, that's fantastic. And there are amazing ways to build wealth. It's making sure you're getting that 401k match. It's thinking about, you know, are you doing work that is helping you get to the next level if that's what you want, right? So for particularly for women who often get caught in that kind of office mom place where they're the ones that get asked to organize the parties and take notes in meetings. It's paying attention to, are you doing work that impacts your company's bottom line? Are you making note of it? Are you bringing it to the attention of your managers? So you continue to build that career and have that you know, year-on-year income growth that'll really help you put more and more money away for retirement and for saving. The one other thing I'd mentioned here, we talk about building wealth is just diversity of income. And so while you don't have to be an entrepreneur, you don't have to have a side hustle, I would really be thinking about what are your passive income streams, whether that's investing in the stock market or real estate, or, you know, writing and selling a book that, you know, even just an ebook on Amazon that sells a couple hundred dollars a month. What we see sometimes is single income households. And so like my husband's a stay at home dad, um, if something happened to one, that one stream of income, which unfortunately happened to a lot of people last year with COVID, you're really stuck, right? You don't have another backup plan. You don't have that little bit of income to at least cover the bare minimum bills. And so if you are in that situation where you and your partner are both in, you know, a little bit less stable jobs, or you are a single income household, finding ways that maybe you do diversify that income a little bit. Think about your passive income. Think about whether that spouse that doesn't work wants to get a part-time job, even if it's just 10 hours a week, so that you have enough to cover groceries. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, but just enough to give you that kind of sense of security. I think we often talk about diversity when it comes to investing and we forget about it on the income side, but we want to keep that stability as well. Great. And lastly, what would you recommend for stay-at-home moms or dads who have limited income? So for stay-at-home moms and dads, my biggest piece of advice is to stay involved. Right. So these are the stories that we hear of, you know, stay at home parents get divorced or a spouse passes away and they are really overwhelmed. They don't know how to manage the money. They don't know where the assets went and they don't know how to get back into the workforce. And so as someone who has chosen to help your family and to build up your family by being that at home parent, it is even more important for you to intricately understand your family's financial position, to know what your options are and to make sure that you are still a decision maker in all of those major financial moments, right? Just because you're not bringing in a physical paycheck does not mean that you don't offer immense financial value to the home and that you should not be an equal player at that decision table because you know, those are the things where we really, sometimes you, you know, stay at home parents are so busy. Like it's so incredibly busy, so overwhelming that sometimes it's easier to say like, I'll just let him, I'll just let her kind of deal with all of that. And that's where you end up in some scary positions sometimes. So it's, this is the opportunity to get involved and to really be the one I think to be the CFO of the family, to not just be involved, but to be the one that's kind of running the show on what decisions you're making. Because often the stay-at-home parent is the one who's doing the majority of the day-to-day spending, right? They're the one that's grocery shopping. They're the one that's running to Target to get your kids a new set of clothes. And so you're watching that money flow and you can kind of take control and say, hey, you and I sat down and we set this big life goal. Here are some ways that I know we can kind of shift things and get to get there faster. 
Wow. Well, I know I feel like a smarter mom from just having you on as a guest. So thank you so much, Chelsea, for coming onto the Legacy Purse to speak about your work with Smart Money Mamas. We really look forward to talking with you again. Uh, for our listeners, make sure you go to the show notes to find all the links to the Smart Money Mamas and all the activities that um, Chelsea's involved with. And we will also be linking to the Ice Binders because we think that's such a great tool for families. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. This was lovely. The Legacy Purse was brought to you by Sultan Attorney in New York and produced and edited by Xavier Mejia in Los Angeles. You can support our podcast by liking this episode and subscribing to it. You can also support us by rating this podcast in your app and by following us on social media at Sultan Attorney. For more information on this episode, visit LegacyPurse.com. 